Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on this dark and gloomy day right here at uh, at the studio live for you today. Uh, I have been doing the research just to jump right out on it. 232-1542 if you want to call and be part of the conversation or send a message through the KPL app. Uh, I know the question on all of your minds. It's a two-part question. The first is, who would steal monkeys from the zoo? The second question is, are they going to use it to make gumbo? And I can give you the answer based on my experience. I do not have experience putting monkey meat in gumbo. Let me just say that. However, I have done the research. I have never had monkey meat before. I do not plan on having on, on, on at any point eating any sort of meat, meat from a monkey. If monkeys are so closely related to humans, it almost feels like cannibalism. But anyway, I've done the research. Now, I don't know. Spider, so uh, these squirrel monkeys aren't very big. They, they do not grow up to be very big. So it's, it's kind of like squirrel. You would need a lot of them in order to make, uh, you know, a, a, a decent meal for a group of people. Um, but squirrels are um, squirrel monkeys. Well, all monkeys, very active, pretty lean. Uh, I've looked at several websites and they, they mostly compare it to like goat meat, very lean and tough. Uh, some of the better monkey meat out there, which I'm not sure what that actually means, uh, more like venison than goat, but in particular, just very, very lean. Um, the texture in some is close to pork with a soft meatiness that flakes apart rather than crumbling. Uh, the taste can can vary widely depending on the diet of the animal, but typically has a slightly gamey flavor, not unlike wild deer. Uh, the fattier parts of a monkey, which again, these are small monkeys, it, the fattier parts of a monkey would come close in texture and silkiness to duck breast with the skin, but without the hint of fishiness that comes with waterfowl. So let's say that if, if a bunch of these reviews say that it's kind of like goat meat, I, I went and I looked up goat gumbo. And every recipe that pulled up included tomatoes in the gumbo, which means it's not a gumbo you or I are going to eat. So I don't think anybody who would be stealing the squirrel monkeys is doing so for a gumbo. And if they are, they are not from here. That is my conclusion based on the research that I did in the 10, 15 minutes leading up to the show. I just wanted to get that news out there because uh, I felt that was probably some of the most important information some of us needed to know. We don't know why anybody stole the monkeys. Um, it could be PETA, it could be drugs, or if you're uh, like my former Red State colleague Mo Lane, embrace the healing power of Anne, it could be PETA and meth combined. But we don't exactly know why the monkeys were stolen. That is still being investigated. Anyway, moving on to the news of the day. The special session to fix the insurance crisis is now underway. And there are two items on this agenda. 
The first item is a bill that would create or I guess reestablish because it, it was a program that we'd had previously. Uh, the first bill would appropriate the funds for the Insure Louisiana Incentive Program, basically restarting it. We had it again uh, after Katrina and Reed and all that. We used that to bring uh, insurers to the state. Uh, the second bill would be to restrict those uh, those companies that had gone insolvent from being able to take part in the fund. Uh, so the second bill... Uh, The second bill excludes insurance companies that filed for bankruptcy or were declared insolvent or were owned by a parent company that was declared insolvent. So there is no other agenda item here. It is solely about this incentive program. It is solely about essentially a corporate handout. Now, again, if if you weren't here for the initial explanation, here's the explanation as it was initially released from the Commissioner of Administration's office. This is $45 million going into a pot and insurance companies that want to take part in this program can get some of that money. Now they have to match those funds. So if they get 5 million out of it, they have to put in 5 million of their own. And then they have to turn around and double that amount in terms of new premiums that they, they write. So in other words, if they get five million out of that pot, they have to provide premiums for up to twenty million dollars. They have to write new premiums that equal about twenty million dollars. So for every dollar they get out of the pot, they have to provide. You know, they they're they're the plan is to get them to write that uh, four times that in premiums. But this is still a corporate handout. What company is going to say, no, they're, they're essentially going to be forced to come in and do business in the state of Louisiana, but they get some money to help offset that. Why not? Why would they not take part in that? Now, granted, the insurance market in Louisiana is very tough. And we're still not exactly clear. We, I don't think we have any firm commitments on who is coming to the state to take part in this program. And this isn't a solution. This is a stopgap measure. As we talked about previously, this is a good first step, as John Bell Edwards said on Twitter. As he said in a statement that he released, this is a good first step, which means grab hold of your wallets. This is going to hurt because they're going to want to do more. And the problem is... The problem is this is an issue that we've seen coming for decades. We've known that there was going to be an insurance problem. I knew that when I first moved down here a decade ago, because as we were looking for places to live, we were advised not to look for like a mobile home or something like that, because insurance companies at this point won't insure a mobile home south of I-10. And now it's getting tough to get a decent premium, decent insurance policy below I-10 because of the storms, the hurricane issue, everything like that. But it does beg the question, because we're not the only coastal state. We're not the only state on the Gulf Coast. How 
how is Texas handling the problem for their coastal areas? They don't have the insurance company problem that we have. What about Mississippi? What about Alabama? We know Florida has a lot of these problems because a lot of these companies that have left or have dissolved were based out of Florida. So the state of Florida actually takes over those companies, I believe. What else does Florida do to make sure they don't have an insurance crisis like we're having in Louisiana? And why aren't we asking that question? Why are we instead talking about handing out money to insurance companies? I've said before, and I've said it repeatedly, overall, the insurance game really needs reform in the state of Louisiana. But throwing money at the problem does not seem like a good idea. Especially if it's throwing money at a problem that is just a short-term solution. We're just trying to get people back. And this goes to another thing. What happens with the next batch of storms? Do we just throw more money into this and start all over? Or do we have an actual solution? Is somebody actually working on the solution? Because I agree with Republicans that are saying this doesn't seem like a solution. But at the same time, I know that a lot of these Republicans are business people, and I know that they've taken note of insurance problems within their own businesses. And I know that they, like me, somebody who is not a business person, but somebody who can just casually observe things, I know that they know that we're facing a crisis on insurance. So why haven't they proposed any solutions before? What solutions are there? I think we're beyond the, you know, Republicanism means don't get involved in in business. I think we have to at some point get involved here because now, now we're leaving people in the state completely screwed out of home insurance. Or with home insurance that comes at an insanely high rate. And it's not totally clear if there is any sort of viable long-term solution. And what what I've really noted is that the insurance industry itself is fairly quiet on this. The insurance industry hasn't said a whole lot about how to fix the problem either. And it's in their vested interest because they want to do business in the state. The state's environment, the state's political environment, the state's, frankly, uh, climate environment make it really inhospitable to be a profitable business in the home insurance market. But they still want to do business here. But they're not that they're they're not really offering any solutions either, which means nobody really has an idea, which is kind of troubling. All right, two three two fifteen forty two. If you want to be part of the conversation, or you can send a message through the KPL app chat. When we come back, we'll talk about this and some other issues. We'll talk a little bit more about the governor's race. Some folks still eyeing jumping in. All that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL.
Joe Cunningham show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, you can also send a message through the KPL app chat. Um, if you have any good monkey recipes, not saying I'm the one who took the squirrel monkeys, but uh, maybe somebody out there listening is and they need some ideas. It, it's really hard to tell. Uh-oh. It's really hard to tell. Why, um, why someone would be, would, would break in and steal the monkeys. I'm thinking, you know, like just kind of bouncing ideas off the wall. It, it, it seems like a PETA thing, animal rights activism type thing. Uh, but we don't know for certain. Um, I don't think it's animal trafficking. I mean, it could be, but squirrel monkeys don't live in like human captivity very well. Zoos and everything are, are trained to to keep them living in an environment that simulates their original home, what they're instinctively used to. But actually, living in a human's home, it's not great. And there are some reviews of like squirrel monkeys as pets that just were not were not great. So I don't think it's for that. I. But again, could be wrong. It's just a very odd story. Not not the type of ex- of story I would expect to read on a Sunday, you know. Anyway, uh, the state governor's race is continuing to get interesting. As it is right now, the um, the race is pretty full. You have four. I'm sorry, five candidates. You've got uh, Richard Nelson, Jeff Landry, uh, Sharon Hewitt, John Schroeder. You've got uh, Hunter Lundy is the independent, the first four being Republicans. You don't have any named Democrats yet, but you do have the Katie Bernhardt ad, which kind of signals that she's going to run for governor. Uh, But you also have uh, Greg Hilburn with the USA Today Network. This is the advertiser at their website today. Um, Greg Hilburn's reporting that Garrett Graves is still looking at getting in, as is Dr. Sean Wilson. So that would be one de- one more Democrat and one more Republican in this very crowded field. And we know that the Republicans are capable of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. That's a given. But it would be interesting to see the fight that happens if Sean Wilson jumps in and Katie Bernhardt is in. Uh, as I mentioned last week, I think that I think if Katie Bernhardt eventually does like fully get in, announces and everything, that brings out Gary Chambers. Whether or not he runs depends on Sean Wilson. If Sean Wilson runs, Gary Chambers backs him and unites a lot of the progressive and black activists behind Sean Wilson. If Wilson doesn't run, Chambers himself could run, and if nothing else, then to serve as a spoiler for Bernhardt because he's still got a bone to pick with her. But Wilson and Graves remaining noncommittal makes me wonder if they're going to jump in because it's getting pretty late in the game. We're in the year of the election itself. And if you haven't made your announcement yet, you are losing out on fundraising, rallying to get support, things like that. You need to make you need to make your decision and you need to go ahead and jump on board the campaign wagon so that you can get started and try to build up some momentum because November is going to be here before you know it.
And the Democrats are going to be way behind here. But the Democrats already knew they weren't going to have a, a, a ready-made successor to John Bell Edwards. They may still be looking. All right, let's take this break. Our news is up next. And then, of course, more on the national stuff, including the top concerns for American voters. That and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. A little while ago, two hours ago on Twitter, President Biden's Twitter account drops a photo of Biden in an electric Hummer. The caption for the photo is, On my watch, the great American road trip is going to be fully electrified. And now, through a tax credit, you can get up to $7,500 on a new electric vehicle. Problem. That Hummer... The manufacturer's suggested retail price, MSRP, is between $86,000 to $100,000. Those of us planning to go on the Great American Road Trip aren't dropping $86,000 to $100,000 on a new vehicle. We're not even dropping the down payment to, do a, to, to uh, get the loan for it. coming up the following year at tax time as a credit doesn't help. What's worse about this tweet in particular is that the $7,500 tax credit that he's talking about is only eligible for trucks and SUVs up to $80,000 MSRP, meaning The vehicle that Biden is seen driving in this picture does not apply. You cannot get the credit for that Hummer electric vehicle. Good job, Biden comms team. Solid work. But this actually gets to something that I wrote about this morning at Red State. Uh, it's also on uh, Substack. If you go to joecunninghamshow.substack.com, you'll find it there. There's some new data out by the polling firm Gallup that shows that inflation actually is no longer the top concern of the American voter. You know what it is? Government. 21%. Of U.S. adults believe that the government and poor leadership are the most important problem facing the United States. In second place is inflation at 15%, third place immigration at 11%, and fourth place economy in general at 10%, fifth place unifying the country at 6%. Here's what else. Even if you combine inflation and economy in general into one category, that's 25%. That's a quarter of U.S. adults worried about that, which is just a couple points over the U.S. government and poor leadership. What's more, the government and poor leadership is up six points from where it was in November through December of 2022. Inflation, concerns about inflation are down Concerns about the economy are way down, 
Concerns about unifying the country are about the same. But immigration is up three points from 8% in November to December to 11% now. So more people believe that the government and poor leadership is the most important problem facing the United States, and more people believe that the immigration crisis at the border is the most important problem facing the country. And this isn't just, you know, the Republicans. If you break it down by partisanship, 24% of Republicans or Republican-leading independents believe that the most important issue is the government. 18% of Democrats and and Democratic-leading independents feel the same way. So yes, more Republicans are concerned about poor leadership, but it's not just Republicans. This isn't some one-sided thing where Republicans are skewing it. This is somewhat even. They both believe it's the most important problem. It's just telling how much more of a problem government leadership is over, if you look at this poll, crime or racism. Two issues that Republicans and Democrats respectively make top issues each cycle. If you look at this particular poll, race relations in the United States and racism, 5% of U.S. adults believe that's the most important problem today. Crime is at 4%, crime and violence. Race and racism is up a little bit and crime is down a little bit, but they are still a distant, distant, uh, let's see, Race is in sixth place this month. Crime and violence in eighth place this month. Distant from the top four. 21%, It would indicate that citizens want to hear less about the moral platitude from politicians, and they want to see more solutions, which, admittedly, is not unreasonable, but also seems impossible at this point. It's also noteworthy that immigration is a growing concern among voters, which, again, probably has something to do with the lack of solutions. See, with inflation and the economy, voters have it built in that it's not entirely government's fault. There is some culpability there, but government isn't going to be able to provide the perfect solution there. But the government can provide a solution to the immigration crisis. The government can provide a solution to its leadership problem. Find better leaders. Show better leadership. This sort of goes back to a problem that's been bugging me for a while from our political class, our media class, our pundit class, all of them. There's too much focus on things that are within their own bubbles. The vast majority of Americans do not see racism, systemic racism, as a major threat. It's only a very vocal minority that talk about systemic racism, talk about defunding the police, talk about white supremacy as being on the rise and a major threat. Likewise, it's only a small percentage that really, when you look at it, see crime and violence 
as the most important issue. They see both of these things as indicative of the larger problems within the parties and political leadership. That's why everybody's saying we need better leadership. We need better politicians because the ones we have ain't cutting on any of these issues. The way you fix these other issues is to get better people in leadership. But the media, the, the politicians like to jump in and talk about these things, these little niche things that are in their bubble, the things that are their bubble, the, the loud voices on Twitter want them to talk about. And the media wants to the, the media wants to play gotcha journalism on these issues rather than actually talk about the issues facing the average American. And the pundits want to play gotcha and dunk on tweets and statements by politicians they don't like. And nothing's really getting done. There are solutions to these problems, even bipartisan ones, dare I say it. I know bipartisan is a bad word these days, but there are bipartisan solutions to these issues. However, nobody is giving them really much of a chance. It all gets drowned out amongst all the talking and all the posturing and all the ideological nonsense and no real solutions put forward. Some can make the argument, and I have, that the government not doing anything actually also benefits us. But at the same time, we do need the government to do some things. We do need the government to take an active role in trying to stop the porous border. We do need the government to try to take an active role in trying to combat whatever the mentality, whatever the policies are that are, in, that are causing this crime wave to spike in places around the country. But in order to do so, we need better leaders. We don't need a picture of Joe Biden riding around in an electric Hummer saying, hey, because of me, you guys can use an electric vehicle to drive across the country. I'm sorry. But if you're driving around the country in an electric car, you better not do it in winter because your battery won't hold a charge. And in the summer, if you are quite a ways between uh, charging stations, you may have to turn off your AC in order to, for the battery to be able to last long enough for you to get to the next one. It's not an ideal situation. And none of us, the average American, we don't really have the money to just drop on an electric vehicle and go take a road trip somewhere. It's not happening. That's not a real solution. The environmentalism thing is not a real solution. In fact, the, the environmental stuff seems to be making the problem worse, according to most Americans, because they see the gas prices now starting to go up a little bit again in some places, and they're really starting to worry. But this political posturing on Twitter showing a picture of yourself driving an electric Hummer and saying the good times are here again ain't working. And on the Republican side, to say that we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this and actually not address any of these actual issues that are affecting Americans in their daily lives is seen as just as much of an abdication of leadership. 
you'll notice that once the Republicans got in control of the House, they really didn't talk about inflation much anymore, did they? They haven't really put forward policies to address inflation. They haven't really talked about the need to investigate and see why the Biden administration lied about it being transitory, why the Biden administration seems to be putting out all this info and spinning all this info in ways that is supposed to make Americans feel better, but actually their policies are making inflation worse. There's no talk of any of that. There's no talk of actually putting forward any ideas. They've moved on to all these investigations about things. And granted, some of those investigations need to happen. But the American public is worried about inflation, not as much as they were, but they were worried about inflation. And they were really hoping the Republicans might be able to help with that. If they gave them control of the House, maybe the Republicans could try to force the Biden administration back on track, at least stymie some of the stuff that seemed to be making it worse. But the Republicans aren't doing, they aren't touching it. So, yeah, a bunch of Americans are going to think that the number one problem right now is the U.S. government and a lack of leadership. It's perfectly understandable that they would. Because the fact of the matter is, we have no leadership from Washington, D.C. And in several states, including here, we don't really have much leadership in our state government. And Americans are really starting to get tired of it. All right, 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message to the KPL app. We'll be back for our last segment here on the Joe Cunningham Show in just a moment right here. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. So Donald Trump is going back out on the campaign trail. He is starting to gear up his campaign a little bit, and his first order of business is to attack Ron DeSantis. Donald Trump is specifically attacking Ron DeSantis, talking about how DeSantis shut down beaches. Problem is, it's not true. Local municipalities, local counties in Florida shut down public beaches And Ron DeSantis fought those counties to get those beaches open back up. In fact, the news media was running stories about how horrifying it was that all these people were gathered on these beaches in Florida and how it was just going to be a super spreader thing. And Donald Trump said nothing about that. Donald Trump did say something about Ron DeSantis and COVID when DeSantis was opening schools back up. And the Trump administration fired back and said, that's a bad idea. Trump did the same thing to Brian Kemp in Georgia. Brian Kemp opened his state back up, actually opened his state up before Ron DeSantis did. And Trump attacked them both over it. And the Trump administration was out saying, this is a bad idea. These guys are, are, are not doing the right thing. But Ron DeSantis hasn't declared for president yet. And Trump, as I mentioned last week, Trump's only state of being in politics is to be attacking someone. So he's going to attack the guy who is the biggest threat to his candidacy. And right now, that is Ron DeSantis. But he's doing so dishonestly. He's rewriting the history of the COVID pandemic. The pandemic, which was, and Trump knows this, the weakest part of his reelection efforts. COVID sank him. 
And so now in trying to recover from that, he's attacking Ron DeSantis as somebody who was trying to do what the conservatives didn't like, which was shutting things down, when in fact it was the Trump administration that was recommending the shutdowns. It was the Trump administration that ranted and raved about states that were opening up too early. But at the end of the day, the states that opened up early, Florida and Georgia, are actually the two states that have done the best in recovery economically. The people in Florida have been better off because the states opened up earlier. You didn't see economic devastation like you saw in places. You didn't see educational devastation like you saw in other places. But Trump needs to rewrite the history because he needs to be on the right of the COVID issue and not where he has been, which has frankly been on the side of the left, favoring the shutdowns. Ron DeSantis, without mentioning Trump's name, had it absolutely right. He pointed out that it was the last administration, Trump's administration, that gave Anthony Fauci a platform. And that all the conservatives that are mad about Anthony Fauci and all the recommendations he'd been making, all the stuff he'd been saying, how he said disagreeing with me is disagreeing with science, that's on Trump. He didn't say Trump's name once, but that's the implication, that it was Trump and his administration that made Anthony Fauci possible. And the fact that he's right is eating away at Trump. And so Trump is trying to rewrite the history of the pandemic to make himself seem right and Ron DeSantis seem wrong because Ron DeSantis was on the right side of COVID and that's going to split Trump's base. All right, y'all, that's it for me. 23 hours until I return. In the meantime, check me out on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, or reach out Joe at KPL965.com. You can also read my daily newsletter, the columns, the show notes, everything like that. Get the podcast version of the show if you go to Substack, JoeCunninghamShow.substack.com. Shannon is offsides next here on News Talk 96.5. KPL, you guys have a wonderful evening.